Studies are showing that silicone implants start bleeding into the body from day one at body temperature. They start bleeding these toxins and that becomes a part of the matrix of that capsule. I don't think that people just get sick because of implants alone. I think they're part of the picture. I think that there are multiple other things that are factors and we have to consider all those, all of those things. When it came to eating and dieting, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I interviewed over a thousand women and I said, what did you do? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you eat? How'd you do it? If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, The Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. And today's guest is Sarah Philippe. She helps women that are suffering from breast implant illness. Sarah helps women to discover how to reverse breast implant illness and recover from hormone imbalances, autoimmune conditions, and chaotic symptoms. So tell us a little bit more about your own health journey and how you got to be where you are. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Chantel. It's such a pleasure um, to be speaking with your audience today. Um, and, you know, I think this is such an important topic because it's something that not many people are aware of and um, so many people are struggling with. So as far as my own story and how I got here, you know, I, I've been a nurse for about 13 years and that's kind of where I started off working night shift and worked night shift for about five years and um, I ended up becoming really really interested in fitness and wanting to you know be in the best shape that I possibly could at 30. <laughs> that just seems so young now that I think about it but um, that was my goal and so you know along with you know my fitness goals came the desire for enhancing my breasts. Um, you know, the leaner you get, the smaller your breasts get. <laughs> and I felt like I had just lost it all. And I didn't have very large breasts to start with, you know, I had very small breasts. And growing up, you know, I was always self-conscious about my breasts. I was always um, stuffing my bra, like in middle school, just really wanting to look more like a woman, what, what the media and society portrayed as womanly and beautiful. Um, so that seed had been planted long before my fitness journey, but, um, I made that decision, you know, it was, I think in 2011 to go ahead and get my breast augmentation. And, you know, it wasn't after I came out of surgery and I healed, it really wasn't love at first sight. Like it is for a lot of people. I really, really struggled with my body image and just looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, who is this person? Like, this is not me. These are not my boobs. This is not my body. I don't, it took a, a lot of work for me to become comfortable in my own skin at that point, because I had made that change to, you know, what I, what I grew up looking at and what I had looked at for the past 30 years, um, in the mirror. And so it was a struggle. It was a struggle to kind of rediscover who I was and, um, I think with that struggle came a lot of other symptoms too. So, you know, about six months after I got breast implants, I started developing a lot of really vague symptoms that I didn't really have an explanation for. So it was things like um, fatigue, um, irritability, 
mood swings, anxiety, depression. Um, it became really, really difficult for me to go out into public because my anxiety was so severe. Um, it just felt like I had a lot of chest tightness and um, really sensitive to sounds, like loud sounds and chemical smells and even like perfumes really bothered me. And, you know, it, it really just kind of grew from there. Everything kind of steamrolled from there, um, all going downhill. I developed a lot of GI symptoms like gas and bloating and um, diarrhea, loose stools. Um, I had a lot of hormone symptoms like acne and um, heavy periods and clotting and um, really, really painful periods to where the only relief I could get was by taking oxycodone. And sometimes my husband was so worried he wanted to rush me to the ER. <laughs> um, but, you know, I couldn't, I, I knew as a nurse, they weren't going to be able to do anything for me. So, you know, I didn't put the connection, I didn't connect the two, and you know, the implants and the symptoms for quite a while. I ended up looking to medical doctors for answers, which, you know, I didn't receive any answers going that route. They did a lot of blood work and never really found any problem. Um, everything looked quote unquote normal. I knew there's something was wrong and I wasn't willing to accept that as an answer. So that's when I kind of started doing my own research. I figured I probably had Hashimoto's based on my symptoms. So I found a practitioner who would, who would test me for that. And she did. And still, even as a naturopathic doctor, I wouldn't acknowledge that I had Hashimoto's, even though my antibodies were in the 500s. Um, so it took a little bit of searching and, and, and doing a bit of research to find someone who would um, acknowledge that I had a problem. And I finally did. And it became a, a situation where, you know, I went to her and she agreed that I did have Hashimoto's um, and just was treating me with supplements rather than prescriptions. And um, there was never a root cause kind of analysis as for why I had developed Hashimoto's. And so that wasn't good enough for me. You know, I wanted to know the deeper reason why, and I wanted to be able to reverse it. Um, so that kind of, from that point on, that was like my turning point of really wanting to dig deeper and figure out what was truly going on in my body. Because, you know, you're not born with these things. They develop over time for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Um, and so that's where I, I became very interested in more of the functional medicine world and came across functional diagnostic nutrition um, through Reed Davis. And I decided that I was going to go through his program as a practitioner so that I could um, learn, you know, all I could about my body and what was going on at the deeper root level. And then hopefully, if I'm able to figure myself out, then be able to help, help other others. women as well. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, and so that's kind of when I when I discovered more of my my pain to purpose. That's kind of when it all started was developing all those symptoms. And I did discover a lot. I discovered I had SIBO, I had candida overgrowth, I had um, heavy metal toxicity, um, I had Lyme disease, I had parasites, I had endometriosis, all kinds of different things going on, not just the autoimmunity. That's. You know, I think it's funny, even at my lightest weight, I was still like, I'm still at like a 34C or 34D. Like, so I, I carry my weight in my upper body. So I have 
really, my legs are thin. And so I have, where I carry my weight is really in my chest. And so I've always wanted smaller breasts instead of bigger <laughs> breasts. Um, you always want what you can't have, right? Um, so are you, how is your Hashimoto's doing? Have you, are you taking any thyroid medicine now for it? No, um, I'm no longer taking any thyroid medicine. So the, the rest of my story really is that um, well, as I was going through my FDN practitioner training program and develop, you know, discovering all these things about myself, my mentor actually suggested at that point, you know, maybe you should look into getting your breast implants removed. Um, and there was just nothing online at that point. There was no information, no Facebook groups, no nothing. And so it was really based on like, a gut instinct and I started believing that this was probably the issue. Um, and I found Dr. Kolb, Dr. Susan Kolb's book. Um, what is her book called? I have it right here. Um, the Naked Truth About Breast Implants. And, um, you know, it was me to a T. Everything I read in there was my story in, in, book, in her book. <laughs> so, you know, at that point though, I was just not ready. It wasn't like the timing just wasn't right. I wasn't ready to make that choice and um, that leap of faith, given the fact that no one else was talking about it um, and risk, you know, going through another surgery and wasting all of that money to, to then potentially not get better. Mm. And so I did, did a lot of work in addressing all of the things that I discovered on lab work. And I really did get a lot better just, just with that work alone. Um, but it wasn't a hundred percent. I was probably 70%. And the turning point for me in helping me make that decision was really us wanting to start a family and not being able to. Um, and really wondering deep down if I continued down this path and did end up getting pregnant, um, what kind of health issues is my child going to have? Um, and if I ended up contributing to that to a problem like that with a child, um, I would just never be able to forgive myself. Um, and feeling like I'm at fault for that. And I know that's something a lot of women struggle with, mm. um, which is a, not their fault, but you know, when you're in the moment, you would think you think that way. Um, so to me, that was the tipping point of, of thinking, okay, well, I cannot, I'm, I can't get pregnant. Um, and I fear that if I did get pregnant, I would have a sick child because of how sick I am and, and the breast implants and how they're contributing to the toxicity in my body. So that was the tipping point. That's what made me decide, okay, I need to get these out. I made that decision a month later, I had them out. So once I got to that point of being accepting and having mm -hmm. a bigger purpose and reason for it, other than just myself, mm -hmm. that would that made the decision so much easier. Awesome. Well, I like to ask questions from to my guests and in my newest edition of my book waste away i talk about how people don't have to deprive themselves when it comes to food but everyone needs to decide for themselves what are their red light yellow light and green light foods foods that are like these are red light for me i feel terrible when i eat them and these are yellow light i don't feel great but i don't feel terrible what are your red light and yellow light foods for you yeah my red light foods are let's see here definitely rice any kind of rice, doesn't matter if it's brown or black or white, it's all, it gives me heart palpitations. Mm. Um, gluten, I stay away from all of the time because, you know, of my history of autoimmunity and I know that gluten can be a contributing factor to that and because of the fact that it's so, it's just not the same 
wheat that we used to have decades ago is so different than it used to be genetically and it's sprayed like crazy with roundup and that just destroys your gut microbiome so for health reasons i don't i don't consume gluten although i don't feel that it really um i have any kind of reaction to it um i always avoid soy um because of its ability to imbalance you know the the balance between progesterone and estrogen um, and the fact that it's so genetically modified as well um i always try to avoid avoid refined sugars and just like the general like junk foods those are always reds for me yellows yellows are foods i would consider um you know having on occasion but don't have all the time so that could be things like gluten-free you know crackers or something like that or paleo some kind of paleo treat where it, you know the sugar may be like honey and or or maple syrup um and then, and then you know, sweeteners like that, like I just mentioned, honey and maple syrup, things like that. I have on occasion, but not all the time. And I also like to ask all my guests, what did you eat yesterday? When did you eat it? That sort of thing. So like, let's talk about yesterday. Yeah. So every day I wake up at six. Um, I have my kind of morning ritual of having... Um, an espresso with whole milk. And um, I have that while I play with my dogs. <laughs> That's kind of my start to my day. And then I usually do a little yoga and some meditation. And I get myself ready and get, get working. And I generally have my first meal, um, not until about one or two. Um, and so I practice intermittent fasting um, every day, even on weekends, I would say. Um, so, you know, this is going to be something like a big salad with lots of veggies and some protein and, um, you know, olive oil and some kind of, uh, vinegar, um, or it might even be like more of a European style lunch where I'm having like, um, imported naturally cured meats and cheeses, um, some kind of salad with like you know, shredded Brussels sprouts and broccoli and olives and um, maybe some kind of nuts and um, olive oil and red wine vinegar. So um, try to be, I try to be heavier on the fat side of things, um, a little bit more moderate with protein and then low on carbohydrates. And I, I usually include one day each week of like a, a, a feast day where I'm going higher in my carbohydrates because that's really important for hormone balance. So um, I'll eat lots of progesterone promoting foods those days like um, beans and potatoes and squash and quinoa and tropical fruits and citrus, things like that. And so I, I, I tend to do a lot more of that actually when I'm in luteal phase because that's the time when you really want progesterone to be high. I'm so excited that my second edition book came out and I've added a ton of new content with actual transcripts from a bunch of thin eaters that I interviewed. Go to Amazon or go to ChantalRayway.com and you'll get a bunch of free gifts when you buy the book. We also have a new video course featuring all the thin eaters coming out. So go to ChantalRayway.com for more. If you're wanting to take yourself to the next level, everyone needs a coach. Every professional player has a coach. We want to come alongside you and help you in your journey. Go to ChantalRayway.com slash coaching. Now back to the show. 
So talk about the luteal phase just a little bit for listeners who don't know what that is. Luteal phase is um, the period of time after ovulation when you're you're producing a lot more progesterone. So you're building that uterine lining. It's you typically day 21 through through 28. Um, so it's that week before your period where your your progesterone is much much higher than your estrogen, and you're building that lining for a potential pregnancy. Well, you're you're craving more carbs than anyway. I mean, yeah. anyone who um, is still in their menstrual cycle would tell you, you know, the week before my period, what am I craving? More carbs, more sugar. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're craving it anyway. So you'd be listening to your body. Exactly. Well, so you start your eating window around one. What time do you end your eating window? I usually have about a five hour eating window. So, and I only eat twice. So I don't snack. Um, I don't grab a handful of anything and here and there, I just have my lunch and my dinner and that's it. So I'll usually eat lunch around one or two and dinner around six or seven and that's it. That's all. So out of the people I interviewed that are thin, that is what they say is that they basically eat either one meal or they're eating two meals, but usually one's a medium sized meal and one is more on the smaller side. Would you say one of your meals is a little bit like more medium to large and one of them's more on the smaller side? I would say my lunch is on the smaller side um, and my dinner is definitely on the bigger side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tend to like eating most of my food in the evening. In the evening. So you can keep going. Keep satiated through the morning. <laughs> now you said that you had whole milk um, with your coffee in the morning. Is there, I know you said you like to eat more fat. Is there a reason you don't use like heavy whipping cream or a more like ghee or to have that fat? Do you just like whole milk in your coffee? Is that kind of what you enjoy? Yeah, I I mean, I'm not opposed to heavy whipping cream. Um, I used to do like a bulletproof coffee back in the day when I was not eating any dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. I think that was okay. But for me, I just really like the creaminess. I love whole milk. I always buy organic and pasture-raised milk, so it's never going to be the conventional milk that's full of antibiotics and hormones. So it's always, for me, it's, it's, it's the fact that I tolerate dairy just fine. Um, it doesn't create any issues for me and I like it. <laughs> so talk about when you weren't having dairy, did you cut it out for a period of time to say, Hey, let's, let me just see, is dairy a problem for me? You took it out, you reintroduced it back in. And then you said, you know, I feel fine with it. Is that kind of what happened? Well, you know, when I was really, really, really sick, I mean, I was very sick for a while, for a few years. Um, and was that when you had your implants in? Or yes. Okay. That's when I had my implants in. And I developed all kinds of food sensitivities and intolerances. And so really it was like about narrowing down the food that I was eating so that I could minimize my symptoms. And so I, I cut out all dairy, all soy, all gluten, all processed, all sugar in general. I wasn't even consuming honey or maple syrup at that time. Um, all, um, what else? Uh, corn, um, things like that. Like the big, the top food sensitivities are the things I eliminated. And I eliminated those for a couple of years. It wasn't a temporary elimination. It was a couple of years while I was healing. Um, So, and I think that's really important because a lot of those foods can be so inflammatory when you've already got a lot of inflammation going on. 
All right, well, I'm instead of reading the questions today because they're so similar, they're kind of asking the same thing over and over, they really boil down to two main questions. And so I'll kind of summarize that. The first question is, if someone's saying, hey, I do want to get implants, but I want to know the safest kind to get. And so in your opinion, are there any safe implants that you, you can get on the market today? So this is always a, a tricky question um, because the diff there's different types of implants. There's saline and there's silicone. And then there's within those two, there's also smooth and, and textured. Um, so saline and sorry, silicone implants, um, are not only comprised of silicone, but actually an additional like 40 different chemicals and heavy metals used in the manufacturing of these implants. And so, you know, that poses a huge problem, not only as just a foreign body being in your body and your, your immune system sees that and reacts to it and wants to kind of wall it off. And so it creates that capsule. Um, it also is, so it's that foreign body simulating the immune system and it's the level of toxicity that they bring to, to the table. And that's really a very complex level of toxicity because studies are showing that these implants start bleeding and we call that gel bleed, um, into the body from day one at body temperature. So as soon as they go in your body and they heat up to body temperature, they start bleeding these toxins and that becomes a part of the matrix of that capsule. And then they can get into the lymph and they can start traveling throughout the body. So very, very um, complex level of toxicity there. That's the reason for a lot of people's symptoms. But then with saline implants, you know, they're they're made with the same silicone shell that silicone implants are made out of. So you still have silicone exposure and silicone is actually considered an adjuvant in the development of a lot of different um, rheumatologic um, type of conditions. And so as an adjuvant, that means that um, they stimulate these types of, of conditions. So there's that factor that's also part of saline implants. And then the other factor for saline is that they have a valve that is supposed to be a one-way valve so that surgeons can place those implants in your body and then fill them after the fact with saline. The problem with that is that they can be defective valves from day one, or you know, if you had some sort of trauma, um, like a car accident or a fall or some kind of injury, or maybe even just you know, um, if you play sports and had some kind of contact where it was a lot of pressure against your chest, that can create damage to that valve. And then fluid from inside your capsule can then move into the implant. And that capsule, um, it, when they have done testing, when they remove the capsules from women um, on explant, they're showing that there's 10 different types of bacteria within that capsule. And they're also showing that there's mold in there. So the mold and these bacteria are getting inside people's implants and colonizing the implants and growing. And sometimes people will find when they get their explant that they're black. There's black mold growing inside them. And so like, you know, if you're exposed to mold in the home, that's one thing you can move or you can remediate. Um, but if it's literally living inside of you, you can't escape that unless you get them out. So those are the two big, um, big uh, complications with both those types of implants. But then you have 
the textured implants, which the media is, you know, um, getting, there's a lot of media attention around textured implants right now because the FDA has just acknowledged recently that there is a connection between textured implants and the development of a type of cancer called ALCO, which is a non-Hodgkin's type of lymphoma. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a breast cancer, it's an it's a immune system cancer. And um, this can be very, very serious. It can lead to death if not treated properly. And the treatment is to get those implants out. Mm. So it's more localized within, within the shell, between the shell and the implant, or not the shell, excuse me, the um, capsule and the implant develops a lot of inflammatory t- um, fluid there, which has cancerous cells. So, you know, if that, if that were to leak out, that can definitely travel throughout the lymph nodes and go out through the entire body. So very, very important to have, um, if you have textured implants, to really consider that, that fact. Um, and then another question is that someone who wants to get her breast implants removed, um, but she feels like she doesn't want to end up with loose, saggy skin. Mm, yeah. And saggy boobs. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, there is an option of doing a lift at the same time. Um, and a lot of women do that and they have beautiful results. Um, I personally, you know, I've never breastfed. Um, I've never really had any stretch marks on my skin. So my surgeon took a look at me and said, you know, I don't think you're going to need a lift. Let's just explant you. So that's what I did, but there is an option for fat grafting as well. Um, and that's where they can take fat from other parts of your body and, and inject it into your breast tissue. And then there's other techniques. So there's the flat, fat flap technique where they can literally take a piece of fat from underneath your breast tissue or in your imp, um, armpit and basically turn it around and make it into a breast. So, you know, there's other options for filling out that skin. There's that fat grafting or fat flap technique. And then there's the lift. Mm. And then the last question is really just about... Um, someone saying like, can, you know, if you have breast implants and they, they leak, but you don't necessarily know that they're leaking, you know, what can you do to, without having to fully go into surgery, find out if they are? Um, so if you think they're leaking, um, yeah, I would say, you know, there's MRIs. MRIs can take a look and see if you have a rupture, but, you know, there isn't really any imaging that's flawless. So there are times where people have had false positives for a rupture, and there are a lot of times where people have false negatives. And so from my perspective, um, if you think you're having leaking, especially if you have any kind of chronic symptoms, I would get them out. You know, there's, it's really worth your health it's worth the rest of your life and living the kind of life that you want rather than suffering. Um, so if we take away, you know, the focus on the aesthetics and, and, and focus on how you feel in your body and whether or not you're able to do all the things that you would love to be doing and living the kind of life you'd like to be living, um, and living your purpose, um, then, you know, that becomes far more important than the aesthetics. And that's how, what happened with me as well. I was very concerned with the aesthetics. And then I took this turning point of like, I don't really care what they look like. I just need these out because I can't live like this. Um, and, and sometimes that's what it boils down to for people. 
Now, did you have the saline filled breast implants or the silicone ones? I had silicone. I had the mentor, um, like the gummy bear um, implants. Mm -hmm. And have you seen people who have the saline have less symptoms and less problems when they have the saline filled breast implants versus the silicone ones? Or are you seeing problems? It doesn't matter if it's silicone or saline, you're still seeing problems on both sides. I'm, I'm seeing problems just about equally. I would say there are a lot of occasions where someone has gone in for replacement, whether it be with saline or silicone, and they're getting the gummy, the newest, you know, gummy bear implant, which the FDA has um, said that it's safe mm -hmm. uh, and more safe than the old, you know, Dow Corning sil uh, silicone implants. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of people just completely just topple over downhill, like head over feet, but in that speed, like just their, their health just takes a huge turn for the worse. And so I don't know if it's those particular implants and those are the same ones I had or if it's just you know a, a combination of things a number of you know different stressors coming in to create this perfect storm situation and then you're adding another stressful surgery and more implants you know um, I don't think that people just get sick because of implants alone I think they're part of the picture I think that there are multiple other things that are factors and we have to consider all those all of those things and the implants may just be one drop in the bucket for why someone develops chronic illness well and i think the the they say that saline implants you know when someone thinks saline implants they think oh well they're just filled with water, water. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many more other chemicals that are in it's not just water in there, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the shell that has a lot of other chemicals and silicone, and silicone is so so toxic to the body. Um, and you know that silicone just bleeds right into your body from day one. Like I said, same thing with the silicone implants. It does. It's the same with the saline implants that have the silicone shell. And on top of that, like I said, you know. It, the saline becomes a breeding ground for bacteria and mold because bacteria and mold like dark, damp places. And so it becomes like a Petri dish. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can listeners go to follow you and your work? Lots of places. So we have um, a Facebook support group. It's a private group. Um, it's called Reversing Breast Implant Illness with Sarah and Diane. And Diane is my partner. And um, I have a website, reversingbreastimplantillness.com. And also um, Instagram, um, same name, Reversing Breast Implant Illness. Um, so those are all the places you can find me and read a lot more information about breast implant illness um, on my blog and, you know, get the advice and support from thousands of women. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.